But let me go ahead and get into our passage for today, church. And we're going to get into this. This is what it says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's pray, God, right now. I pray you speak to us. You promise that your word is living and active. And I pray you would give us words of life right now, Lord, and that you would just increase our appetite for the things of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. One more amen, everybody. Amen, amen. Well, you may hear this name, Jimmy Donaldson, and it may not mean anything to you, but you may know this guy by his YouTube personality, Mr. Beast. Some of you younger people in the room might recognize this guy. He's one of the most famous YouTubers on planet Earth, and he's a Christian from what I hear. And what is so fascinating about this guy is he does all this insane stuff on YouTube. And one of the crazy things he actually does is he will actually take his credit card and hand it to total strangers. And they'll tell them, you can spend as much money as you want, but if you go over the limit and the card gets rejected, you don't get to keep the stuff that you buy. And so people be walking around the store, they're like, how much do you think is on this credit card? And this guy's like 23, how much money could he possibly have? And so like, I don't know, $500, there's this really brave girl who buys like $4,000 worth of stuff. And all, every single time the card gets approved and they're all just freaking out so excited to get all this free stuff from this random stranger. And then he asks them, how much money do you think was on this credit card? And they're like, I don't know, $1,000 maybe. Some people are like, was there $10,000 on it? And he tells me, he says, you could have spent over a million dollars if you wanted to on that card. It was technically an unlimited credit card. And you just see like the gasp in people's faces. Now, I have something that haunts me, actually. And it's this potential scenario where I'm standing before God one day, and he tells me, Brian, you set your limit on your life way too low. There was way more in there than you even knew. And I'm wondering if sometimes God even feels that about churches. Maybe he looks at churches and says, man, the people I put in there, the potential, the way I positioned in the kingdom, the impact that church could have had. And I'm just going to be straight with you guys. It's only, again, my third time speaking as a new pastor. It's like, I'm like, why don't we just keep going to all the controversial topics? But I've really wrestled through this because what I'm going to share about today is not something I normally would have been comfortable sharing on a Sunday morning because I've really hesitated because sometimes I'm like, well, this is just, it's too intense. It's setting the bar too high. This is going to be like a turnoff to some people. Like this is really going to push people away. But this is what I feel like I've experienced, especially in the last couple of years in the church in general. I really feel like there is just a hunger in people to experience all that God has for them. I just see this desire in people. They're like, I don't want to just settle for complacent cultural Christianity. I want the real thing. Even if you're somebody who's just exploring Christianity, you're just kicking the tires of the thing. Even the people I talk to like that would admit, you know, Brian, I don't want some watered-down version. Give me the real thing. I want to wrestle through the real thing and see what I really believe. Like, I want to be serious about this. And so I'm just going to be honest with you guys right now. This is a bar-raising sermon, all right? I've been talking about turning the heat up in the church. It's about to get hot in here, all right? So you might want to take your coats off and get comfortable. But I'm hoping that this is an opportunity for some of us to lift the limits in our lives and to experience God, maybe in levels you have never experienced before. That's my hope. And so we're going to dig into a passage today 
This is Jesus talking. This is his famous Sermon on the Mount, all right, where he's talking about all these massive topics. And at one point in the sermon, he talk, he's talking about spiritual disciplines, these practices that help you get closer to God and experience him in greater ways. And he talks about three. Now, here's what's interesting. The first two probably would not shock you at all. He talks about generosity, particularly the poor. And I think, again, anybody hearing that, you're like, okay, that's probably something Christians should do. Good people, you know, help the poor out. The second one, prayer. Again, nobody thinks that's very controversial. Okay, we should all be praying more. That's a good idea. But the third one, we see in Matthew 6, starting verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast. Now, here's the thing. Jesus gives three disciplines in his top three he has fasting. And here's the thing. He doesn't say, hey, if you want to fast one day or should you choose to do this, he says, no, when you fast. He is just assuming this is going to be a practice that people who follow him do. Now, we may be starting with totally new terminology today, so I'm just going to assume that we're coming in this just with a blank slate. So let me get a working definition here, okay? So my cool, like, Creative definition for fasting, all right? If you want the cool version, I would say this. Fasting is going without what you want to access what you need. Now, for you more concrete thinkers, you're like, okay, Brian, give me the, the bottom shelf. I want it most straight. This is what I would just say fasting is. It's abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Now, here's the deal, guys. I am not talking about intermittent fasting for all you workout freaks who do it to get muscular. I don't even know how you do that stuff. I'm not talking about that, all right? This is not a diet. This is not a health fad, all right? This has nothing to do with your love handles or the number on the scale that you see when you step on it. I am not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about a spiritual practice. Now, I remember the first time I ever attempted a fast in my life. I was 18 years old. I was getting ready to go to college. And I had a group of friends who were like, let's fast for a day. Let's do it. And I'm like, yeah, what's fasting? And I literally didn't even know what this thing was. I'm like, I guess this is something people do, that when you're a Christian, you just don't eat food. But I'm like, all right, let's go after it. So for the first time in my life, I woke up. And I'm like, I guess I'm not eating my Honey Nut Cheerios today. Like, I, we're just doing this thing. And I'm like, this is not comfortable. And again, I didn't even really know how you did this fasting thing, thing. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm not eating food. I can just chew gum all day. So I just started pounding gum the whole morning, eating packs and packs of gum, not swallowing it, right? Because then I'm not eating the food. By 2 p.m., I still remember this. It's imprinted in my consciousness because it was so intense. 2 p.m., I felt like I was dying. I'm not going to lie. I thought I was starving to die. I thought I was going to die, all right? Now, don't hold that against me. I was 18, all right? And it was 2 o'clock. I'm like, I got to eat. I got to do something. So I started just throwing food in a blender and blending it up because I'm like, if you drink the food, right, it doesn't count. I don't know what the rules are for this, so I just blend it up. So my first experience of fasting was a total epic failure by 2 p.m. blending food up in a blender because I didn't want to die. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I think for a lot of us here, if you know anything about fasting when it comes to Christianity, you see this as like the Navy SEAL Christian thing to do. This is for like the ultra intense people. You're like, I barely read my Bible or go up to church and you're going to talk about fasting today, Brian? So I understand that sentiment, which is why I had the hesitation. But here's the thing. I don't think that was ever God's original intention for this to be some sort of exclusive practice for the super serious people. John Wesley was this famous founder of the Christian Methodist movement in the last hundred years, just a massive impact for the kingdom of God. And he said this, I fear... There are now thousands of Methodists, Christians for him, so-called, who following the same bad example have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice in the week that they do not fast twice in the month. 
you know who you are. The man or woman that never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the man or woman that never prays. That's heavy. Now, here's the deal. John Wesley is actually speaking to this fact that for most of Christian history, if you can believe this, it was normal practice for a Christian to go two days a week without eating. That was normal practice for Christians. Now, hear me. I am not here to pile on guilt. I'm not here to add legalism to your life. There is not a single verse in the Bible that talks about the frequency or length you need to fast. None of that. But what I do find interesting is that even in just recent history, how much some of our practices have shifted in the Christian faith. And so Jesus, talking about fasting, goes through this whole section, which we'll dig into. But he says, when you genuinely are seeking God through this honestly strange practice of fasting, he says, your father will reward you. We've had this rally cry for the last couple of weeks of a, as a church of yours joining us, and we've really just been having this charge. How bad do you want it? And the question is, how bad do you want to see God work in your life? How hungry are you for the things of God? What are you willing to sacrifice to see him move in your life? How bad do you want it? And Jesus says right here, God has rewards for people who seriously seek him, even in this practice called fasting. And so I think it's worth asking, what is the whole deal behind this deal? What does not even eating food have to do with your spiritual life and what God's going to do in it? And so let's take some time. For you note takers, you're going to love me today. I have points. They all start with the same letter. They rhyme. I mean, I just, I got you, all right? So this is a note day for some of you guys. I want to talk about the power of fasting for a couple minutes. The power of fasting. Before Jesus blew up on the scene and became this famous traveling speaker, miracle worker, he had this kind of wilderness season, as we sometimes call it before he really became known. And we get a sneak peek into this right before he blows up on the scene. In Luke 4, I'm going to start in verse 1, we see this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I love that little note that Luke adds at the end. By the way, just so you know, he was actually hungry at the end of it. Thank you, Luke. He didn't eat for 40 days. We appreciate you letting us know that Jesus was hungry. All right? We had no idea. But here's the reason why I'm sharing this with you guys. You got to understand, fasting was critical preparation for Jesus before entering into the most public ministry in the entire history of humanity. And you think about it, of all the things Jesus could have done to prepare to ultimately die for the sins of humanity, Fasting was one of those key practices. And we see at the end of this little wilderness season he had when he finished this fast, Luke 4, 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Fasting was this critical piece in Jesus' life to set the stage for him to have the most powerful contribution to history we have ever seen. And you may hear that and you think, well, Brian, okay, we're talking about Jesus, okay? I He's on a little bit of a different playing field than I am, all right? So I don't even know if it's worth the comparison. I get you on that. But I love this quote from this guy, John Piper, because he's speaking to that dynamic. He says, if he who was the light of the world, talking about Jesus, fought for his fire, that power, with fasting, is there something to be learned here for our flickering wicks? 
See, we understand Jesus is on a totally different level. But is there something we can learn from his practices and disciplines that allowed him to live in the power that he did? So what's this power to fasting? Let's talk about some of the personal power available that you can access through this particular practice. For whatever reason, I don't know why God set this thing up this way, there is a direct correlation between your discipline with food and your discipline with sin. There is a correlation between those two things. Now, do not get me wrong. God is very pro-food. God is a fan of food. If you don't read the Bible for any other reason, just read it to see all of the food talk. God's always throwing parties and festivals. Look at Jesus' ministry. He's literally going from one meal to another, basically. That's his whole ministry is where's the food. All right, so God is pro-food. But there is a power dynamic when it comes to food you just need to acknowledge. Look at Adam and Eve. The first sin that cracks humanity in this creation is around what? It's food. It's a fall around food. You fast forward to Jesus, this wilderness season he's in. Some of you guys may know this story. If you don't, it'd be interesting to look into. Jesus is tempted three times by Satan. In the top three temptations Jesus receives, one is around food. That is not a coincidence. There is a dynamic to our relationship with food and its spiritual implications in our lives. The Bible takes us to a whole nother level. Let's take it to another level. It talks about this concept called the flesh. Now, if you're reading the Bible, you may read this, you're like, man, is he just talking about like our skin and stuff? But actually, this is kind of a term or a euphemism for the sinful human nature we have. When you see this word flesh in the New Testament, it's talking about those selfish, compulsive, pleasure-seeking parts of us that work against God's purposes in our lives. Paul, a writer in the New Testament, he said this about the flesh. Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It, it, there's a death in your spiritual life and ultimately a physical death when we give into these particular desires and habits in our lives. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, the flesh working itself out in you, you will live. There's a spiritual vitality and life that comes out of the other side. Now, if you need a little bit more of a concrete idea of this whole flesh concept, all you need to do is look at a two-year-old. All right? Particularly my two-year-old, my daughter Brinley. I pick on her all the time. All I got to say is I only have a small window of time while I can still talk about my kids without them getting mad because they don't even know I'm doing it. So I'm going to take advantage of that. I had a woman come up to me last week at the church. It was so funny. She said, Brian, thank you so much for talking about your kids the way you do. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, it's just so encouraging to know I'm not the only one struggling with my kids. And I was like, okay, if the misbehavior and disobedience of my kids can encourage you, I will do that all day. So let me do that right now. My daughter, Bryn, she is mastered by the flesh right now. It just controls everything in her. And she loves her some food. This girl likes to eat. I'm telling you, it's impressive. We will come downstairs. I'll just open the pantry door and she's just in there and you just see the face and there's just guilt all over her face in the form of chocolate and other types of random foods mixed together. It's gotten so bad. We've tried putting the food on the highest level in the pantry. She just climbs that thing. She gets to the top. I can't stop her from doing that. I've tried putting the special locks on the door she gets in. We've posted a guard 24-7. I can't keep this girl out of the pantry. But she is just mastered. She's got to give in to the desires. She's going to get what she wants. And look at our culture. Let's just be honest. We place a high value on self-indulgence. We do. We like to satisfy our appetites. We like to give in to the flesh. We even have 
phrases around this. We, oh, you only live once. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, you wouldn't have that desire if you weren't meant to satisfy it. That's why you have the desire. We have all these things. And yet the biblical argument is that there are actually desires inside of us that need to be put to death. They need to go down. And for whatever reason, God has set this thing up where fasting is a weapon in your arsenal to declare war on your flesh working against you. And to put Jesus back on the throne in your life. And as you are fasting, something about the physical hunger drives your desire for the things of God. And it starts to change your spiritual palate. And it starts breaking down the desires inside of you so you can start experiencing greater levels of God's desires and will in your life. That's how this thing works. And again, this is just an open, honest church. We do real talk here. I know, I've only been here three weeks, but I've been here long enough to know there's a lot of us in this church. There's real struggles. There's struggles around alcohol, substances. Some of us have really unhealthy relationships with media in our lives. There's real struggles around pornography, other habits, proclivities, addictions. I mean, the whole gamut. Now, do not hear me wrong here. I could not possibly give a single prescription for every single struggle that we all have in our lives. That's not what I'm trying to do. There's no single silver bullet. There's a lot of different angles to hit this. But I will say this. Fasting is a tool that God gives us to help overcome some of those fleshly desires in us. And for some of you guys who really are bumping up against some very real struggles, some ongoing habits, I would ask you, have you ever tried fasting? Have you ever just made that an attempt to see if God might help work out just the things in your life. I have seen so many people overcome some of the habits, even addictions and struggles in their life through this discipline. It helped them break down some of those desires in their lives. And I would just encourage you, that may be something God has for you to make some progress. There's a personal power in this thing that God gives us access to. But let's go to, this, let's go to another level. Let's talk about some of the public outward power that God gives with this fasting thing. If you read through the Bible... I've never actually paid a ton of attention to this, but now I'm just starting to catch it. You read through the Bible. Some of the most historic, powerful moves of God came during times of fasting by people. I mean, the correlation is almost astounding when you start looking at it. Let me give some examples. If you don't know these stories, you should look into them in more detail eventually. But this is just fascinating. Think of Moses, the famous Moses. It was during a period of fasting for him when he received the Ten Commandments and law from God, which set the moral foundation for the entire nation of Israel for 3,000 years and set the moral fabric for the entire Western cultural experience we have during a fast. That's quite an impact. Jehoshaphat, don't hold his name against him, all right? But he was this king in Israel. You may not even recognize the name. At one point in their history, they were getting massively attacked by multiple enemy nations at one time. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers coming against them. Completely hopeless situation. And this guy, he doesn't think, man, I should probably buy some more tanks. That would be a good idea. He doesn't go get more helicopters or call in a giant bomb. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3. He proclaimed a fast. And if you read the rest of the story, God doesn't even allow a fight to happen. He decimates the entire enemy armies in one fell swoop. An entire war was won because of a fast. Let me do a couple more. This is just fun, all right? Humor me a little bit, all right? Daniel, 
somewhat of a recognizable character. He does two fasts that we know of in the Bible. One in particular sets him on a trajectory to become the second highest ranked person in the most powerful nation on planet Earth, which allowed him to literally shape the forces of history and even receiving visions that we are still interpreting for the future of humanity through a fast. Let's, let's go, to, come on, just, let's just keep on. It's just too good, it's too good. Jonah, the guy who gets swallowed by the big fish, we know this one, he goes and tells a horrible enemy nation, hey, God's not happy, you're all screwed. That's basically what he says, all right? It's not gonna go well for you. And look what happens, Jonah 3, 5. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed. And if you don't know the story, the entire global city of Nineveh is spared from God's wrath because of a fast. Two more, these are good, all right? Esther, let's love on the ladies for a minute. She's this Jewish girl who through a crazy set of circumstances becomes the queen of the entire Persian empire. And yet during this time, there is a genocide declared against her own Jewish people. And again, out of all the things Esther could have done, think of all the options she had. We see this, Esther 4.16, fast for me. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And as they're seeking God through fasting, he saves an entire nation from extinction. Paul, the famous missionary, writer of a lot of New Testament letters, it says this at one point early in his ministry, Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. You could easily gloss over that one little verse. Be like, cool, just another verse I read over, not even paying attention. You gotta understand what's happening in this moment. While they're fasting, God launches a missions movement that catapults Christianity from an obscure Jewish sect to overtaking the entire Roman Empire in two short centuries. Not only that sets a trajectory where now over two billion people claim the name of Jesus on earth, not to mention the 13 letters that Paul wrote that we are still reading to this day. Hear me, church. History has been forever altered by people who have sought God through fasting. And I just got to ask you today, what might God want to do in your life if you would just seek him with this kind of intensity? What blessings is God just waiting to pour out on people who are hungry enough for him to do whatever it takes to experience it? There's just something I've just learned, you know, after my first massive fasting failure and lesson going on this journey, I've learned that I just don't go through any transition in life, major decision, massive struggle, whatever it is, without making fasting a part of it. I've just learned how essential that is in the process of going through an experience with God and the way he responds. And I just know there are so many of us here today, you've got your own stuff. You've got kids you're worrying about. You've got job stuff going on. There's health things. There's so many dynamics going on in our lives, and there are so many good things you can do. You can go see a counselor, listen to a good podcast, read a book, call your mom. There's a lot of good things you do, but I got to ask you, have you ever tried fasting on it? Have you ever thought, you know what, I'm just going to go to God with this thing and see what he does? Maybe that could be even more potent and powerful than anything else I could do. 
When Pastor John approached me a couple months ago about this insane idea of becoming the newly pastor at the church, after, again, picking myself up off the floor and trying to even begin processing what that could even mean, there was honestly just no question for Nicole and I. We're like, this is way too massive of a decision. This has way too many implications for this church, these people, and us. we got to fast about this. It was just common sense. And I really believe it was a critical ingredient that God used to give us the clarity and conviction to ultimately decide to join this church in this way. Some of you guys know the story. I've spoke on it before, but I know some of us are new. A couple of years ago when my daughter was born, we were told she had these massive health risks. We were told she's probably going to be blind, mentally handicapped, paralyzed. It was just absolutely traumatic. And it was shortly after my daughter was born when my mom came over to visit from Chicago. And I was just trying to be a good host to my mom. I was like, hey, mom, you want some popcorn? You like popcorn? She's like, oh, no, I'm good. I don't need popcorn. I'm like, something's up when mom doesn't want popcorn. Do you want some M&Ms? I know you love M&Ms, mom. She's like, no, I don't want any M&Ms. I'm like, what is wrong with you, woman? What is going on? Don't you like snacks? And I finally got her to give in. She's like, she said, Brian, honestly, she's like, I'm fasting for Brindley right now. And just to know that there are people going to those lengths on behalf of my daughter, and that some of you guys have heard the story that my daughter now turns three in the next couple weeks, and she's a perfectly healthy, happy little girl who is just thriving. I've seen the power of God work through this practice now. Don't you dare hear me wrong. I am not saying fasting is some magic button you press to get all of your hopes and dreams from God. I'm not saying God promises anything in this, but what we do have is a guarantee from God that there are rewards and there is a power and a presence available when we will seek him genuinely from the heart through this thing called fasting. But there's an important element to this for it to really work in your life. And I want to take a minute. Let's talk about the posture of fasting. It's a critical posture to this thing. Let's go back to this Matthew section. Matthew 6. I'm going to go to verse 16 now. It says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, what fascinates me in the Bible is that there is not a single verse that talks about the health risks of fasting. Where it's like, hey, make sure you don't go too intense or harm your body or whatever. And yet there are many sections in the Bible that talk about the spiritual risks of fasting. And the risk is that you do it to get credit from people instead of God. And in this weird way, you can actually fast and become a worse person. It can make you more judgmental, more legalistic, more arrogant and rigid in the way you do your faith. And Jesus is just saying, if you use your spiritual life as a tool for self-promotion, don't you dare expect anything from God. He does not honor Instagram faith. Pretty on the outside, but totally hollow under the filter. That's not what God is about. Jesus gives us the alternative here. This is how we need to fast. Verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Take a shower, brush your teeth. All right? So that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It was like last year, around this time, Nicole's mom came and visited us. And they just, they weren't looking too hot. Her mom's laid out on the couch, just looking a little weak. Nicole's just a little 
off kilter. And I was like, are we doing dinner tonight, guys? You want to do something? I'm like, oh, no, we're good. We're just going to pass. I'm like, okay, are we doing anything? Are we having sex? They're like, no, we're good. And finally, I just wore them down. They're like, okay, okay, we're fasting, all right? We're fasting together. And I was, I was like, okay, were you not going to tell me? They're like, well, the verse says make sure people don't know it needs to be in secret. I'm like, Nicole, we live together. How long did you think you were going to get away with this ruse? I mean, you think I wasn't going to notice that you're not eating food? And so here's the thing. That, that is the extreme version, I think, of going a little too far. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not, again, putting legalism on this thing. He's talking about a heart motivation. Okay? This isn't about people not found, finding out at all that you're fasting. Because here's the deal. It's going to happen. You know, you're going out and people are like, hey, why aren't you eating? You're just like, hey, you know, I'm not eating. God's not like striking points against you, all right? That's, that's not how this thing works. You know, family members are going to find out you may fast with other people. Here's the deal. Jesus is saying you should at least make an intentional effort not to draw attention to yourself when you're doing this. This is ultimately between you and God. And yeah, people may find out, but it's about your heart motivation behind this. And when you are able to get to point fasting where you're saying, God, I'm not trying to put on some false image of spirituality. I want all that you have for me. I want your rewards. I want to seek you through this. God says, that's what I respond to. I can see the heart in that. And I, that's something I like to reward. Now, let's take a couple minutes here. I want to really give some nuts and bolts, all right? Because I know we're talking about, you know, a big concept that's maybe totally new to some people. Let's talk about the practicals of fasting here for a little bit. I really want to help you guys. I want this to be helpful. Again, interestingly, there's not a single verse in the entire Bible that gives any type of guide on, like, here's some ways you should and can fast. It doesn't give any of it. None. And before I really get into this, I actually want to take a second to talk about actually a couple exceptions, right? Because I don't want anybody to be misled here. There may be some of you in here online. You may be pregnant. You're a nursing mother. You've got diabetic issues, other health things, young children, other forms of eating disorders that may have been part of your past. I'm going to tell you right now, there are very good reasons not to fast from food, all right? And there are real exceptions to this. You have to consider the season you're in and what's going on in your own life and your own body. Now, with that being said, let me say this. Most of us don't fit in any of those categories. All right? I know some of the guys in here are like, well, maybe I'm pregnant. I probably shouldn't fast for that. No, you're not an exception. I'm sorry. All right? So <laughs> most of us in here are not off the hook. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So let me get practical. What are we talking about when we're talking about fast? Because there's different ways you can kind of go at this. A very common fast that you'll see in the Bible that I think is really good is what you might call a liquid fast. This is when you just drink water and maybe other natural fruit and vegetable juices. All right, you see this through the Bible. Very basic way to do a fast. I would encourage anybody, if this is something you pursue, this is a great standard to shoot for. I think it's a very good to sometimes go some time without any type of food consumption as a way of seeking God. And you can do it in a very healthy way. It's a liquid fast. Now, you can take this to a different level, and sometimes we call this a Daniel fast. And this is named after Daniel in the Bible, where he goes a period of time only eating fruits and vegetables. So again, he eats like totally clean. And sometimes we call that a Daniel fast. Very good one to do, especially if you're going to do some type of extended thing. Giving up all that sugar and everything, it really will do something to your soul, I promise you, all right? But let me do one more here, just to kind of get your guys' brains flowing. Sometimes we talk about a thing called a modified fast. Sometimes it's called that. This is maybe where you just cut out certain types of food in your diet. Uh, you might give up caffeine or coffee. I know you guys are like, 
Heck no, Brian, I can't give up the coffee in the morning, but maybe that's something you can do. Sweets, processed foods. This is a really good place to start if you're someone where you're like, man, I just don't know if I'm at that place where I can give up food completely. But let me just say this. The goal ultimately about a fast is that it really puts you in a place to increase your hunger for God. It, it requires some sacrifice. Because if you're in here and you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give up broccoli for a day. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you this right now. That's probably not going to impress God a whole lot. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it's not going to mean much to God. All right? But just it's got to be some type of sacrifice. Really, ultimately, I think that's what it's about. And we also kind of talk about this idea of breaking a fast. You need to do your homework. Because how you end a fast is sometimes just as important as how you start it. I had some friends in college who did a seven-day water-only fast. They're like, we're going to go hard. We're going to go after God. Well, the first thing they ate after breaking the fast was Doritos. Now, let me just say this. Doritos are already bad for you. They're really bad for you after not eating for a week, all right? So you don't do that kind of stuff. you got to do your homework with this thing, all right? But I know some other people kind of get in these conversations. They're like, well, how long should I fast, Brian? And I always get nervous about these conversations because that's when the really competitive people come out and they're like, I'm going to do a 40-day fast like Jesus. I'm not going to eat food or drink water. And then you're going to die. That's what's going to happen, all right? So you don't need to be a hero here, okay? You don't need to start out by being Superman. Let, let's just get real practical here. Consider the season of life you're in. Some of you, you got young children. You travel a ton for work. There's stuff in your life. You've got to consider all the variables going on in your life to do this in a healthy way. But let me just say this. Start small. Just start small. Don't be a hero. This is my biggest encouragement to people. If this is something you want, you're like, I want to start seeking God. I want to see what he has for me. I would say, take one meal in the week and just dedicate that to seeking God. I think lunch is a great one. You know, you go to work, just don't bring lunch, don't buy lunch, and take that time that you would have spent eating, maybe socializing, say, I'm just going to use that time to maybe dig deeper into God's word. I'm going to pray after him. There's some things I'm really seeking God for. That usually is enough to create some of those pains for people to really drive them to God. I think that's a great place to start. I think a good move maybe after that, if you're just starting to think about this stuff, is maybe one day a week. Maybe you say, I'm going to give one day a week. I'm just going to make this my day where I fast. I would encourage some of you guys, eat dinner the night before and then fast until the next dinner. That way it doesn't affect your sleep as much and it can usually be done in a more healthy way. Just one day a week, but you can look into extended fasts. There's a lot of people that do do these pretty long fasts just on liquids or water. You can do it in a healthy way. And again, if you are in that exception category, there are plenty of other ways, I think, to seek God during these seasons. I think there's great ways where you can say, you know what, I'm going to give up TV, maybe other forms of media. Teenagers, I think it's a great, great opportunity to say, I'm just going to drop social media for a season. Video games. There's just so many ways where you can just say, you know what, I want to go after God and I'm willing to make the sacrifice, but here's my challenge, Northern Hills. Just try it and see what God might do. I got a personal experience of this in my life. I honestly have so many stories, but this is the most recent, just to give you guys some encouragement in this. I have one other sibling She's my sister. We've always been close. She's one of my best friends. I love her to death. And she followed a very stereotypical spiritual path after moving out of the house to go to college. Just checked out of church, didn't want anything to do with God, not interested. There was a handful of things that even just pushed her way. She wanted nothing to do with it. Just not a part of her life all through her 20s. Well, it was this date's going to be born, October 1st, 2008. I kind of keep these regular journals. This is the first journal entry I have in my history where I truly wrote down 
I'm going to start praying and fasting for my sister because I want God to move in her life. I want her to know Jesus. And so I'm just going to make this my commitment. And so anytime I've done a fast and I've been praying for the people in my life that I want to know God, I, I'm telling you, my sister pretty much every single time was at the top of the list. I don't think I've prayed more for any single person in my life than my sister. And it was October 1st, 2021, when I have a journal entry that says, God is moving in Dana's life. I see it. Her appetite is growing for God. She's talking about this question. She's starting to read the Bible. Like there is something happening in her life. And it was just the last Wednesday, 10 days ago, that Wednesday, my sister calls me. We have a two hour phone call. And we get to this point where we're just talking about things of God. And she says, Brian, I believe. She's like, I love Jesus. She's like, I, I can't even begin to tell you. I, she's like, I can't even explain what's happening inside of me. She's like, I feel this sense of hope and peace that I've never even felt before. She's like, I've always struggled with anxiety on some level. She's like, I even feel like my anxiety going away. She's like, I don't even know how to fully explain what's happening inside of me. She's like, I believe all this stuff about Jesus. And for the first time in my entire life, I prayed with my sister. And she is not just my sister anymore. She is my sister in Christ. And I get to be excited. Let's clap for that. I'm telling you guys, I would fast and pray a thousand times over if I knew that was going to be the result. It was worth every single meal that I missed. I would do it all over again. I've seen the power of God when you seek after him. And I know there are those of us here today where God has a breakthrough for you. I really believe you have family members on your heart. You have massive decisions you need to make. There are things in your life that you need to see and happen. There's generational issues that you want to break out. There's power available to you. There is favor available to you. Northern Hills, I want us to increase our appetite for God. I want us to lift the limits of what God can do in our lives. Let's not to set the bar down here. Let's go after God. Let's get hungry for what he has for us and see what he can do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I am just amazed by how great you are. The power you have, Lord, you overthrow nations. You save people groups. You give incredible favor. You turn the circumstances in our direction, God. And I've seen you do it so many times in my life, Lord. I want to thank you right now for responding to even all the fasts I've done you, for just seeing, seeing them, Lord, and honoring that promise where you say, I will reward you. And I pray right now, Lord, for those of us here at Northern Hills, that we would cultivate a desperate hunger for you. Lord, I pray we would be so hungry for the things of God that nothing else would satisfy our appetite. You say, we do not live by bread alone. But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Lord, I pray that would just be our heart's desire. Change our spiritual palate, Lord. I pray we truly would not settle for anything less. Raise our limits, Lord. And as we seek you, I pray we would see some of the greatest rewards history has ever recorded in and through this church. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.